You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Don't call it a comeback. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. It's Justin and John, and we're about to put the boxing gloves on. (laughs) I just know this is not the way you wanted it to go. And if you're listening to this right now and you don't know what we're talking about, then, well, welcome to the show for the first time. And uh, <laughs> we like to talk about the Celtics here. So uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. And, John, so we've debated this. And, you know, I kind of came around a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I get it. You got to go big. But the minute they that the whole – I don't think he's going to re-sign. Like, you knew this was the big catch for me, was how much are you going to pay right. to take a gamble? And, you know, everybody wants to look at the Toronto Raptors and make the Kawhi analogy. They could still lose Kawhi, even if they get the championship. Was it the right thing to do? Sure it was. They were never going to get over the hump. They finally did. And, um, you know, it really just tells you how much this championship was for the taking for the Celtics this year, too. Like, just to put that on the, the side burner, you know, those injuries and everything else, this is a legit year for opportunity for, for the Celtics. And they totally, totally missed it. And that's frustrating. So now we're talking about AD. Price is too high. Rental, I don't know. Too many assets they collected. You don't want to be on the other side of that Brooklyn deal. Um, the only thing I'll say about that, though, is that's an unfair comparison because AD is so young. Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and, and you know, filler, sort of, Jason Terry, uh, were definitely towards the end of their careers. So it's not a fair analogy except, man, if they lost all these young players and AD didn't stay, you know that was that was a big hang-up for me. Yeah, I – well, and I think it, the whole going into it, the whole expectation was in terms of what the cost would be, right? And, and that was, you and I disagreed a little bit in terms of like what we thought it would take. And I think you thought it would be a little bit richer than I thought it would be. And I don't know where. It's richer than I thought it would be. It, well, that's, that's kind of where I'm going is like, look, this was. I think that in, in, in the world that we were all operating in, when, you know, very logical, you know, sensical world, uh, in terms of what could Denver do? What could Boston do? What could LA do? What could the Knicks do? I mean, I think those were very rational, logical conversations. 
And I think what happened, what we, what we saw what happened is the Lakers decided, um, irrationally and emotionally that they had to have this guy. And, and I, there is a logical bent to that, of course, because, you know, LeBron is, they've, they have LeBron and this is it. If they don't make this work with LeBron and add that second star, it's an unmitigated disaster. It may already be a disaster. So they had to overspend for it, but to the level that they did is, uh, unbelievable to me. I, I cannot believe how much they spent on this deal. And I agree with you. It's, it's not exactly the same as the Nets deal, but there's always, but the comparisons are there it in feels terms similar of because of the, the, the over. Yeah. It's overdone. Yep. It's way too, I mean, it, it may be great, but the fact when you see Chris Haynes send out the tweet that says, uh, <laughs> he's still going to free agency is just, it's tough to take. I, mean, I don't think it will happen. I don't think it will really matter. Rich Paul will get what he wants out of it. Rich Paul is effectively running the Lakers right now. And so that was, that was the whole gambit was to get him to a spot where Rich Paul could run the, the team. And, and they did. So it worked out. I think the Pelicans got a great situation for themselves. And the disappointment on my part of it, and, and, and as we talked about, was really about this, how the Celtics were this close to being a great team for a prolonged period of time. And a lot of factors. It wasn't just Kyrie. It wasn't just, you know, it's certainly, I, I probably the, one of the smaller pieces was Danny Ainge. But they were this close to running the table for a really long time. And unfortunately, other egos and other people's egos got in the way of it. And so here we are. We're back to effectively square Who's one. Other people's. Are you talking about Rich Paul? I think, yeah, I think Rich, Rich Paul. I think Kyrie Irving. I think, um, I think you could say Terry Rozier and, and Jason Tatum's and for, for a time, uh, Jalen Brown and Mook Morris and th- those, those pieces on that roster that just couldn't find a way to, to make it work during the season. They created certainly a, a a very negative situation within the team and one that ultimately, you know, ended up flaming out, not only as a but team, still would but have also had pushed to away Kyrie Irving. Right. They still would have had to overpay. Yes. So, so I think, you know, in the world that we were operating in, if Danny had gotten reassurances that AD would resign or even that they could get something done, you know, right after the trade or whatever, an extension this year. If Anthony Davis said, no, I want to be with Kyrie and I want to be in Boston. I think Danny probably still matches something up here. Um, and, and maybe not exactly, but I, I still think he finds a way to potentially do the deal. Um, even if he does overpay, there was a concern and I thought Sherrod Blakely's article on uh, NBCSN or NBC Sports was really, really good. Um, I thought he broke it down very well today. Well, by the time anybody listens to this yesterday, but I thought it was broken down really well. And, you know, there was a lot of people within the Celtics organization who thought, well, even if we trade for him, there won't be enough left to be really good. But I don't know that that's true. I mean, if Kyrie had stayed, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, you would have had Hayward rebounding, you know, from a bad season um, and a really difficult injury the season before that. He has his first off season of true getting ready. And they had Al Horford. I, I, I don't, I don't think even if they had to give up smart Brown and Tatum, that they wouldn't have been contenders. I still would have been unhappy. 
I, I'm very happy that this is the way it played out. And I know there's a lot of people that think that's crazy, but I also know that there's a huge part of the fan base that kind of felt the same way. I really want to see what this team can do. Um, it looks like Kyrie is all but out the door to Brooklyn. And, uh, I don't, I think everybody's just kind of waiting for it to be formalized. It's almost so openly being discussed that way that, that it's almost like it's a foregone conclusion. And obviously Bull Pat, had a lot of fire, you know, not just smoke, but there, there was a lot of fire in his reporting around that too. Um, and lots of discussions with other front office personnel about how this stuff kind of plays out in the locker room. But I'm really excited to see what they're going to do, man. I wanted them. Here's one of the things I loved about the championship in 07 and 08 is they still had Paul Pierce. They still had this guy who went through it that we saw come up, you know, and really try to put it together. And you've got to have one of those pieces, in my opinion, for it to be as enjoyable as you want it to be. So there's there's my take on that, John. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think in the in the uh, Nick Gelso, uh Justin Poolin world, uh, you know, there there is a, the emotional attachment to that is is absolutely helpful, uh, and it and it builds and binds, you know, the way it works, but. With what you see out there right now, I don't think the the folks in Toronto were all that heartbroken because Kyrie uh, Kawhi Leonard had been there about five minutes and led them to the championship. You know, and, and that's that. And, and I'm not saying that that's a, a similar situation. So like Kyle Lowry, yeah, it's not similar that, because they but, had never won a championship. Period. Right. And they've been getting their butt kicked, and now they're on the sure, back end of this sure. window. But winning and, solves everything. And and I don't so uh, I, I hear you, but. They, but could, people weren't all go, that excited about Paul Pierce in 2005 when he had a ace bandage around his head. You they know, could be garbage next year. Well, I mean, seriously, right. it could happen that fast. They could. The they could. But I guess what I what I'm saying is that going back to that Rich Paul piece. You know, my concern is what the league is turning into, and and I know that sounds very old man. You know, <laughs> but it just you know if. If you're not going to be able to build teams because it'll be short circuited, um, because Rich Paul wants to be, because the agent wants to be in charge of the team, then that's trouble. I mean, look, you want to talk about the Chicago Bulls, go back to the nineties and people say, well, you know, David Falk and, and Arn Tellum and all these guys, they ran those teams. Not like this, not at all like this. Uh, this is the, Rich Paul is at a different level compared to what was going on in the 90s with Falk and those guys. I mean, clearly Phil Jackson ran that locker room. Clearly Jerry Krause was putting the pieces together. I mean, <laughs> it's completely flipped on its head now. I mean, it, it, there's no comparison. So don't, don't, don't tell me it's the same. It's not the same, you know, and that's the hard part is that as a fan, you want to, I want to have that same experience as you're talking about. I want to be invested with these guys. But to build a winner, to get those top tier guys, those LeBrons, those Anthony Davises, those Kawhi Leonard's, can you do it, uh, without, you know, selling your soul to the devil? And that's, that's a really crappy thing about NBA fandom in 2019. Yeah, except that that could just make you love this team that much more if these guys stick around and end up going and doing it. And that's, you know, look. They're going to find a creative way around it. You and I thought the price tag was going to come down on Davis, and, and instead the Lakers just kept going up. 
And, you know, you can kind of say maybe that's because somebody was playing both sides of the equation. You know what I mean? But that, that could have consequences, dude. And it's just like we talked about. It's one injury, right? They're, they're kind of on one hand, the Lakers are not doing what Toronto did because they're going to grab this player. And as long as he resigns, then they're going to have a young player, you know, one of the top ones in the NBA for years to come. And that's great. But if he gets injured and the LeBron James window kind of passes or this year gets so ugly that Rich Paul's like, no, 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 now we're going to New York, you know, or the next destination, the Lakers are totally, totally screwed. And you want to talk about everybody is looking at Danny and saying, oh, yeah, nobody wants to trade with Danny. Nobody wants to trade with Danny. I, I still think I still think that's baloney. I, I think honestly, if anybody thinks that the deal is in their best interest, then they'll trade with Danny. Not everybody is going to do a deal like the Brooklyn Nets did, but here the Lakers did. So, so is, does it work out where everybody has to do that deal with Danny so that it, you know, that's because he's got a corner on the market for making, you know, stupid, making other teams do stupid deals? I don't think so. And even then that Nets deal was pretty crazy with the picks and everything. But it still looked like a good deal for the Nets. I mean, it really did. And they wanted to make a splash, and they had a new owner, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I don't know that it looks bad now, but I don't know that it really looked all that bad back then. They're getting two all-star players, you know, and uh, it just I just have a hard time looking back and every and looking at everybody say, oh yeah, nobody wants to deal with Danny. I don't think that's the case at all. I think no. Danny is a shrewd businessman and he knew not to outbid this. Period. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I understand. You know, the years leading up to this, and this is the great white whale that you know. This is this is this is the Moby Dick for him. You know, he's Captain Ahab. This is his Moby Dick. This is what he's going for. I understand that, but you also have to be smart about it. And, and you, you look at the Lakers' offer, and there's just no way the Celtics should have countered that. As and I was someone who, over the last six months, has been consistently on the on the level of you got to make the deal, you got to make the deal, you got to go get the guy. You can get a top five guy, you do it. This deal would have not just taken those key assets the Celtics have, but it would have pushed those trade assets, those those draft pick assets, into you know the middle of the next decade, and that's there would have been no rebuilding. Team, if right, he walked, there would have been no rebuilding. Right, you can't build within. With, mm-hmm. you, you can't build within. Like let's say you keep him. That's where the Nets the analogy. That's where right. the Nets analogy would have been the same. It would have been like an enormous hole to dig out of. Right. But, well, not only is it, but, but even if you keep Anthony Davis, even the best of all worlds, right? He, he resigns here. He loves it here. It's great. You got Tatum, you got Brown, or excuse me, you don't have Tatum and Brown. You've probably got Terry Rozier and, you know, 34 year old, uh, Al Horford and 30 year old Gordon Hayward. And you have no draft picks for five years. How are you going to add that mid-season, you know, shooter that you need off the bench, or how are you going to add that point guard that you need because somebody goes down with an injury? It's just impossible, and that's what the Lakers are going to find themselves in. Now they're going to be able to go on to the the bio market, sure, but we all know that that doesn't always work out as well. 
<laughs> look at the Raptors. The Raptors went on and got Marcus All, in part because yes, they had Valanciunas, but they had draft picks to spare. They had they had uh, you know ammo that they could use to improve their roster. Lakers aren't going to have that. At least, well, they'll have next year's pick, but that's about it. So it's a. I'm not saying that it was a bad deal for the Lakers. They had to do it. They were in a very tight spot. But I understand why Danny didn't do the deal, as hard as that is to believe. And now you just have to get used to moving on to the next chapter, which is Tatum, Brown. It's the chapter I wanted all along. And here's the thing. Hayward's still part of that chapter, and so is Horford as of today. So people kind of forget that. Like if Hayward gets like, and we've been, and I said this before the whole Anthony Davis and, you know, even when this team was, you know, possibly this super team with a Kyrie resigning and Anthony Davis trade, I still said, I think Hayward's going to come back much stronger next year. I think he needs a full off season to get his confidence back. And so he's going to go back into that lineup and unless they trade Horford for somebody like Capella or whatever, I think Horford's coming back too. I feel, I mean, as long as the Celtics want him, and I think, and I think that they think that this team is a competitor. It went to the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago without Hayward and without Kyrie. And so these younger players have an even bigger chip on their shoulder with something even more to prove. And the only person that you're really adding into the mix who may have been an issue or part of the chemistry this season is Hayward, but he's a consummate teammate. I don't think he's going to, I don't think he has, Riffs with his teammates. I think they, the, the teammates may have felt like he was getting in their way to some extent because he wasn't playing well because he was coming back from that injury and they knew it. But if he comes back from the offseason and he's playing well to start next year and there's room in that starting lineup because Tatum's at the four and he's at the three and then Smart and Brown are starting at the one and the two, I'm down with that. Even, and I know a lot of people, oh yeah, Terry, Terry wants a starting gig. Nah. I think Terry might still come back to this team if he knows he's the first man off the bench. I don't think Terry is as stuck on being a starting point guard as much as he is stuck on having the opportunity to play minutes, substantial minutes, and grow his career. So if the Celtics' money is right and he knows that it's either him or Smart and they're vying for the starting job, then I think he might come back. Is he the critical piece? No, he's not the critical piece. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about the money because I think that's the, that's the important piece of the next chapter, and we'll put the draft maybe. To so last. they got the twenty-eight. Let's just do this. They got like yep. twenty-eight million. Let's say that they um, stretch well, Horford out. Let's say they stretch right. Horford out. So what's that going to be? Eighteen million for five years. Well. What the rumor? What was the rumor today? It was three years? Is that what we heard? Three years? I didn't. Two but years three years, plus, I'd love two additional years. I think. I think you're looking at something like three years, sixty. I think that's the. So you think it lands at twenty? Okay. I think twenty is the number. That's my guess. I'm not sure, but I feel like that's the number. So it leaves them eight, but then because Terry is their player, do they still have bird rights on this somehow? They have, they have bird rights, but it doesn't. It still would mess with the cap, right? So you'd still. They still have to pay, but they can but, go over. But okay, so let's 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 put Terry for last because Terry's going to be as a restricted free agent. He's not going to come off the market quickly, right? So no, he's got first, all the time to play, right? The first guy that's going to go is Mook Morris. So let's say you get you get you get you have you signed Horford for twenty. So you what would you say eight, eight or nine, eight. 
Yeah, eight, eight and million. change. I think it's eight so, and change. Yep. So Mook Morris, that I mean, to me, that's he's the harder choice of whether or not to bring back because he plays the same position as the other as the Jays and Hayward. Um, he's, but he obviously is somebody who's well regarded in the locker room. He likes being here. He's also a Rich Paul client. Oh, by the way, so what's the number that would bring him back to Boston? And is that something that's worthwhile? You know. Like, what, 15 million? Yeah, but don't 15 you think, million? Even then, don't you think the guard issue is the bigger issue at this point? To your, but, to what but, you just said, more position. But what I mean is, okay, I hear you, but you have Marcus Smart. Like, Marcus Smart's your guard. Like, he's, he could be your starting point guard. No, I mean depth. I mean just depth yeah, in general. But, but you don't have it, but, but the, the, what I mean is the market's going to dictate what the, the order you're going to have to make the decisions, I guess. So you're yeah, going to my, my point is, is that going out and getting a guard for depth behind Marcus Smart might be yeah. a lot harder than going out and spending less money on a wing to back up a position you're already stocked at. No, That's I, what I'm yeah, getting I at. hear you. Okay, okay. But, all right. So, but if you keep, like, if you keep Terry, let's, I mean, what? Are the, okay, he could get an offer sheet from somebody who doesn't get um, doesn't make it strike it rich right now, right? So we don't know what's going to happen with Durant. It sounds like Kyrie is going to take one of the max slots in Brooklyn. They have another max slot or near max slot. New York has money. Indiana has money. Um, Dallas has money. Who else? Those are the ones that – oh, oh, the Clippers. We haven't even talked about the Clippers. You're just Seems- saying you don't want to lose – you're saying you got to strike Mook. Because you don't know if you'll be able to keep Terry, and Terry will take his time. You're not debating the importance of the position. You're saying that the timing, you could end up losing out on both. You're gonna right. What I'm saying is, you have to make a decision based upon what other people are going to be wanting. Those guys, you're not going to be able to dictate the timing. You know, I mean, you could you could you I mean you can negotiate with them right now, frankly. You know, and I think Terry, I don't know that he's going to get an offer sheet. I think everyone will say, oh, he's going to people, other, other people are interested. There's money out there. After this season, I'm not so sure about that, you know, and if he gets an offer sheet, great. He's, you know, you know what's going to happen, but look what happened with Marcus Smart last year. I mean, he had a bad year. I would say Rozier had a worse year than Smart did last year. And in spite of it, and because yes, there was less money on the market, but Boston was Smart basically negotiating themselves. Right. Right. So, What's Terry looking at? Ten? That, I, no, I was thinking he was going to land in the same range anyway. Could be, yeah. Yep. I, and I think if, if I think if he he was there, I think Boston would bring him back. I think they'd sign a longer term deal. I mean, on the downside, if nobody goes up and he just signs the qualifying offer, the only problem is then he's got a no trade clause. So Boston really doesn't want that. They need to be able to move that salary and be able to move that salary to match with other pieces to get a big fish. Rather than having to move smart. I mean, that's, that's the problem with the timing of all these trades this year was that you didn't have that ability. Now, if you can use Rosier with, you know, let's say the Memphis pick or what have you, then you're, you know, halfway down the road towards a, a big deal, whether it's Beal or whoever. So I'm not against that. I, Why I think, do we have to deal our way to a championship? I don't know you do. I don't know you do, but you want so to. So let me, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this listener email. Then there's three sections of it. But here's, here's, this relates 
And so I'm going to read, I'm going to read the, the second point. Um, he makes a point on Jeff Green. He makes another point. We may hit them all, but this one is tied in with what we're talking about. He says, we'll just call him Bill. Bill says, people saying the only thing that matters is championships. Well, bleep, I just wasted 200 plus hours and lots of money on league pass watching the Celtics last season. I guess I'll just wait every year until game four of the finals to see what's up. I really enjoyed following the Celtics for the past five years. Well, maybe not this year. One of my favorite Celtics teams was 1987. No championship, but the guts and grit of that team was something else. The injuries, the tragedy of bias, and that bleep magic hook shot. It was grim, but fascinating. But that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. You know, I, I realized, I, I think this point is so well taken. Yeah, we pl- we're waiting for championships, and it's all about championships. But, you know, getting through the regular season, and I'll even say it, once we won the championship with with the big, the, the big three of 07-08, once we won that championship, every year was still enjoyable, but the regular season was kind of like, a, you know, just kind of boring. You know, it did not captivate you. You were just waiting until we could get back to the postseason and see if we could put another one under our belts. And that's when you got excited. But I'll tell you, with these teams, when they're developing, I mean, I remember going to that Super Bowl Sunday game with my son when, you know, Terry hits this big shot, you know, and Horford hits this big shot. And they wind up beating the Trailblazers in a major comeback, and they were super down at the half. Those kinds of games, when you kind of feel like your team is stacked and loaded, they're enjoyable, I guess. You know what I mean? But they don't, first off, they don't happen that often because usually you're staking big leads. Like the regular season's a grind. And so this whole gut and grit and watching them overachieve, that's what made, you know, the last three years before this one with Brad so much fun to watch. That's what made Isaiah Thomas so exciting. That's what made us love those guys. Wouldn't it be great if, one of those types of teams won the championship, you know, from out of nowhere, especially after Kyrie goes to Brooklyn and everybody's got a chip on their shoulder. They just come and just lay the smack down and they're all in their early 20s. That would be so exciting. That would be so unprecedented. Is it likely to happen? No, but that's what's going to captivate you all next season. If they are at all on a roll and they're playing well and you can see the possibility of it, it's going to captivate you all year, and it makes watching 82 games a lot more interesting, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think the Celtics, the punk rock Celtics uh, were, and, and the hospital Celtics were some of the most enjoyable Celtics teams ever. But if we didn't have one of the absolute worst Celtics seasons ever this past season, are we even having a conversation? Like, it, this was so bad. For, on so many different levels that it's like, <laughs> I don't know that I really can distinguish 87 from, well, I can distinguish 87 from 86, but can I distinguish 91 from 92? Can I distinguish, you know, 02 from, you know, 04 or 05? I mean, not really, you know, those, the thrill of it is how far can you get? Can you get close? Can we get more out of this team than we expected? Can we go far? I mean, those, that's, to me, that's why you watch it. 
to to see that is see, exciting. I feel like, that, I but, feel like but this you don't team build, is you already don't build a there anyway. You don't build a roster for for pluck and and grit. You build a roster to win and be successful. But isn't like, that what it takes to else win? Is pointless. Isn't that what it takes to win? You need talent to grit. win. No, you, you need talent. No, not just talent because we had no, talent this no, no, year no, no, no. and we didn't win. Okay, how much pluck and talent was enjoyable when the when the Celtics were getting swept by the Cavs two years ago? I mean, it didn't matter. Like that was that's the lesson, right? For but all of it, us, we didn't have Tatum yet. We didn't have all the we assets got our asses yet. Kicked. Yeah, but, but that's that was not fun. That but that was just <laughs> part of getting there. That team was so young. It wasn't that, that was, young. Yeah, it wasn't it was. that young. It no, was. We didn't Jay even have Tatum yet. Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford. I mean, those are four veteran players right there. Yes, you had Smart. Yes, you had Brown. But, I mean, Kelly Olenek, who's still on his rookie contract. But, I mean, those guys weren't like this year's team. And we – it was enjoyable. It was great. They're punk rock, and they got further than we thought. It was great. But you got to the end, and we got steamrolled. By a not so great, an okay, but not so great Cleveland Cavaliers team. And it's like, that's not fun. <laughs> you know? I don't I, know. I just, that was a, that, that, that one series may not have been fun, but that whole no. year was fun. Sure. And then the next year was weird because of the Kyrie trade. Cause I, I didn't even really like him when we traded for him to begin with. Oh and, and, and he came from Cleveland. I didn't. You know I didn't. It just I wasn't really I into it. I just I wasn't into it. You're, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, look, I understand people watch sports for different reasons and all. And, and I, and I appreciate that. But the Celtics, the Celtics tradition is not about almost getting there and about Atlantic championship, Atlantic division championships, right? That's not what the, the reason why the Celtics are special is because they go to the top. They, they don't take second. So back. is the only now, way to get there is to go and buy your championship just because that's how we did it most in the most recent, you know, past. I think you have to look at the way the game is played. Like how, how are teams being put together in 2019? You know, how many teams so other are than being, Kevin Durant, are growing how did, from how did the Warriors build other than Kevin Durant? And they'd already won a championship yeah, but, by the time he came okay. there, and that was a total fluke, right? But they could have still been the same team they are now without Kevin Durant. You know what I mean? Over the last several years, I mean, he definitely hedged the bet, and he definitely improved that squad. But did they grow by trading away players for the top talent, or did they grow to a championship contender by being smart and utilizing their draft picks? Right. Well, I would say this about about the the. Golden State comparison. We are, I mean, Golden State is a once in a lifetime situation, right? I mean, I think we have to agree to that. They went out and they found three guys in one draft. Two of them were all NBA guys who were core pieces towards building, uh, you know, a championship contender. And then, of course, the, we have this crazy thing that goes on with the, uh, the cap expansion. And I'm not even talking about Durant. But their ability to keep paying players, even if it wasn't Durant and they re-signed Harrison Barnes, for example, you know, I mean, they would have been, they would have been good. But how many other times has that happened in the last 30, 40 years? You know, I mean, it's in the salary cap era, they're the only, they're the outlier, right? Everybody else has done it differently. You know, whether it's the Spurs, whether it's the Lakers, whether it's the Celtics, um, 
you know, the great teams the of heat. the Stellar Cap you didn't era. Say the Heat. The Heat, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's been rigged. Holy it's yeah, sure. Rigged. If you want to call it that, yeah, it's rigged. I mean So why are you upset about Rich Paul then? If you're okay with it being rigged to date, why are you upset about Rich Paul? Because I don't think Rich Paul is I I don't know. I guess I don't think Rich Paul is putting together the team for the best benefit of Anthony Davis. And I don't think that but it doesn't matter. The, I don't think the influence that he's exerting over a franchise or multiple franchises, if he had gone to the Lakers and really the detrimental effects in leaving, pulling Anthony Davis from the Pelicans is good for the league. I don't think it's good for the league to have an agent with so much. So you know what would be good for the league is for another team to build the way Golden State did and take that power back. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, so what's it? And look, these rigged deals, what Rich Paul just did, you just said it's unprecedented, right? Every time it's unprecedented. Every time in its own way, it's unprecedented. Even what the Celtics did to bring in theirs. Everybody called the Miami Heat. They said that that whole move was like a copycat move, but it wasn't. It was. It was not because the players engineered that and they engineered it via free agency. Right. And taking the pay cut instead of Danny doing the due diligence that he had to do to get Kevin Garnett to agree to stay, et cetera, et cetera. Unprecedented once again. All of these things are done in different ways. They're because, and here's the other reason why they have to be is the collective bargaining agreement completely continues to, as soon as somebody pulls that shenanigan or they look at it like it's rigged, oh, no. they pull it out. And then right. so somebody's got, got to get creative with the new lawyer language and the new CBA to try to be an all-world beater. At some point, at some point, you've got to build your team in a different way. And I don't I, – I hear what you're saying about Golden State. I do think – you know, the singular draft thing is, is a deal, but I think Danny's done a really good job of drafting players. And I think Brad does a really good job of developing players. And I think Brad does a great job of developing culture. And I think Kyrie threw a serious monkey wrench into that for whatever reason. And maybe it was just general mix, but there's something to be said for, you know, creating that culture and adding rookies to it. You know, it's sort of like, it's it's this whole fraternal approach to it. You gotta earn your keep, right? But anytime you're building talent, top three in their draft talent, right? Or Smart, who was sixth, you know, or even Terry, who was scary Terry in the playoffs. All these guys on the rise, that's when they're hungry. I can tell you, like, even working in sales, it's always when somebody just first gets their job, like as a, like, okay, so I'm in medical sales, right? The first time somebody gets into medical sales is the best because they're just learning the industry. They're just getting excited about it. They're just getting passionate and they just go out and kill it. And I see some of the best salespeople who, as long as the work ethic is there, as long as the talent is there, you know, as long as the soft skills are there, it's always awesome to watch them become successful. And I realize it's not totally transferable to the NBA, but when you're drafting the top three players in two consecutive drafts, one of the top three players in two consecutive drafts, you know, you ought to give it a little bit of time because that's two players that could equate to two players that Golden State drafted and you've already got Al Horford and you've already got Hayward and you got a top six guy, Marcus Smart, who's one of the grittiest guys, and I'm going to read the other email, or the other point of this one email. 
because leadership is where we and I identified this year was such an issue. Mm-hmm. And we said on the very last show that we weren't even sure if Anthony Davis was going to end up being that leader, that we were still looking for leadership. And so I believe that this is sort of, you know, in follow to what we talked about on the last show. But he says, who is the leader of the Celtics? Duh. While the Celtics were doing great, the leader was Brad Stevens, who coached young guys and old broken ones, Gerald Wallace, and guys who didn't live up to their potential before. They always said, we trust what coach says and his game plan. I didn't hear that last season much. Kyrie came and messed that up. Now that the young guys are getting older and richer, Stevens needs to name a captain that will have his back. He can't be the captain anymore. Marcus Smart is that man. There is something to be said for letting Marcus become, you know, moving, not just, not just this email and, and saying, you know, he should be the captain. I'm saying that there is just something for letting him become the leader of this team. During several times over the last four years, we've heard, yeah, he's the leader in the locker room or, you know, he's led by effort and, and he's kind of been acknowledged except that there's always been some player that's been, you know, sort of status above Marcus. You know what I mean? I realize that maybe Brown and Tatum are their more blue chippers, but the fact that Marcus Smart's hitting a three-pointer now and, you know, he's defended multiple positions, and if you take some of these people out of the way, because Al Horford is not the leader, right? Like, there's been some tweets about that. And I think even – I think it was Sherrod that wrote about Al Horford. Like, you know, it's not that Al isn't a leader, but he's a leader by – his actions, not by his words. They need an emotional leader. And I think there's something to be said for letting Marcus Smart move into that role this coming year. Well, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think he'll be, he's going to be able to uh, stretch his legs a little bit. You know, I think all these guys are, they're all going to be able to, to, you know, branch out, be more of who they want. So do they crack under the pressure? Or do they rise to the occasion? What's your how? If you had to hedge your bet in either direction, I think they'll rise to the occasion. I think they'll. I think they'll be better. I think they'll be. I think they'll be a more cohesive group in in twenty. I don't think there's any way they couldn't not be right. I mean, it's or they could. Yeah, couldn't not be. Um, they're going to be better. They're going to be more fun. They're going to be more together. They're going to have a blast. I think it's going to be great. It's just the third ceiling. Will and they're going to beat Philly, and they're going to beat Philly. And I don't know that the ceiling's really that low. I don't Do you really so. just not think Brown and Tatum are going to get like to All Star status over the next five seasons? I, I think they could get to All Star status. I mean, they're going to have the playing they, time now. But you know to what be, I mean? They're going to have be, the leadership piece of it. Yeah, but to right, and that's and that's good. But to be a Golden State's level, it's not all. It's not All Star. It's it's all NBA. That's where they have to be. They got to be first or second team all NBA. And even then it's no guarantee. You know, you look at, look at what, uh, look at Golden, look at OKC, look at, um, uh, you know, Portland, you know, both of those situations, you've got really strong two, you know, two player situations, maybe three player situations. If you want to throw Steven Adams in that mix and they're kind of, you know, good, but not great. And that's the difference. That's is good good enough? Eh, I don't know. That's that to me. See, I'm not my, sure they're going to. I'm my, not sure they, I think the get issue there. in in OKC has a lot more to do with who's playing point guard. And it's not that he's not playing. You know what I mean? I I, I and I if you get these young players in Boston, 
even if they get to that status, yeah, they become all NBA because they play better with each other, right? It's not that they're actually any better than Paul George or Russell Westbrook, right? But Rus- Russell Westbrook leading a team that plays like a team that gets up over that hump, right? Because they just have the right chemistry and they do the right things. He's all of a sudden all NBA. So is Paul George. Everybody's all NBA because they're winning. That's how that works. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at is like actual talent level over the next five years. I'd be very confident that Brown and Tatum were, or there could be a, you know, Antoine Walker, Paul Pierce, sort of both of them making the all-star team. The question will be, you know, are they really going to go to that next level, you know, beyond that? Can they get over that hump? That's what's freaking you out. Yeah. That's yeah. what you're concerned about. You're concerned that we're going to be the early 2000s Celtics again. Yeah. And what Danny blew up to then trade and become Kevin Garnett. But I think, you know, we didn't draft any of these guys at number 10. They were drafted at number three. Tatum would have been drafted at number one if Danny couldn't have spun that out because that was a guy he was taking. He just got a nice another little asset out of trading, which also, by the way, debunks that people don't want to trade with Danny because Markel, Fultz, and, and Tatum are a perfect example of nobody learned anything from, you know, the Nets trade, if that's the case. But either way, you know, when you look at, I just think this team can get there, dude. I just think they're so young. We have, we have years to be able to watch it and we have years for them to get better. And, you know, some of those years is going to have, you know, people like Horford around and some of those years are going to have somebody like Hayward around and some of those years are going to have Marcus Smart. Like, look, think about it. Smart and Brown defensively in the backcourt. That's really awesome. And then you've got Hayward at the three. And even if he's 90% of Utah Hayward, that's pretty amazing because now you've got multiple people who can set up the offense, who includes Horford, who's going to be your center. The only issue that you really have with Tatum at the four and Horford at center is this rebounding issue. It's just so killing this team. Mm -hmm. They have everything else that they need to be. I think they even are a good defensive team. And and I'll make the argument that they didn't make the commitment on defense this year the way that they had the year before without the players who, you know, um, were there this year. And so – you know those young guys that we just rattled off can play defense. And knowing that, it's really the rebounding thing. I don't want to lose Horford because I think this team could still be good. But that whole move, which really doesn't sound like it really has any legs, but that whole idea of letting Horford go to the Rockets and bringing in Capella, you know, it kind of resets that timetable a little bit. But really more than anything, it just gets us the rebounding that we need. Um I think until this team solves the rebounding issue, that's the reason they're hampered. Not because of youth, not because of the, I think they've got the talent on this team that's going to develop over the next five years, but they just don't have the rebounding problem solved. I think that, yeah, I think the rebounding, I think the defense of that, that four man is, is crucial. I think that's why the draft is really going to be interesting because there's a couple guys in there that I think could be, could be that guy. Could fill that spot as all right. Well, let's hit the draft as we close it out. Then you just segue perfectly. Who are those guys? Well, uh, well, I think Brandon Clark, the guy from Gonzaga, is is somebody who I'd really look at. He's somebody that I would. You mentioned him on the last one. You're big on him. I would. I would take picks. I would take twenty. Is he the one with the Tyrannosaurus Rex arms? Yeah, he's got short arms, but his his vertical is insane. His his burst is wild. Um, 
I mean, he's if Zion was not uh, playing in the, in the in this year, he probably would have been college player of the year. I mean, his his a lot of his his analytic numbers, his his efficiency numbers off the charts, just completely off the charts. And so, you know, I look at what um, what what the Celtics need, what I think he could provide. His shooting is not quite there, but he's a mid, he's got a mid-range game. But in terms of putbacks, weak side shot blocking, uh, I, I think he is really, he fits in quite well. Now, the other guy I'd look at is Grant Williams. Kind of the same, similar idea, not as explosive at all, uh, but power forward, kind of swing player, um, SEC player of the year from Tennessee. I think he's going to be more at the 20, the 22 spot. Uh, so if they don't combine, he's somebody you could look at, but those are two guys. I, I mean, I you what hate about to look gambling at on some of these guys. Like, so bowl bowl is Ugh. dropping down, right? Cause of the foot and et cetera. So yeah, I, but there's a lot of people. If you're following Twitter and I know you are, John, cause you're better mm-hmm. at it than I am. There's a lot of people out there who want the Celtics to take a look, and apparently he's falling down the draft board a little bit because everybody's always worried about big men with potential risk for injury. So you went, ugh. So is that all there is to it for you, or well, is there I, more to it? I, I'm going off of a lot of what other people are saying, but but his he's not coming off very well in, in interviews, and it seems as though I think that there's probably more of a, a question of desire and is he a good guy? So with all the problems we've had here, I don't think that's the guy you want to add to it. I mean, if you want to roll the dice in, in, uh, you know, Toronto, if you want to roll the dice in, in Milwaukee on a guy like that, good, good for you. I think right now where the Celtics needs are, you got, let's not forget Robert Williams is still on this team. And yeah, I was waiting for that. I was leaving that out there. I was waiting for you to go there. Yeah. I mean, you got that. I mean, to me, what the Celtics, the needs are in that power four, that swing three, four guy, that guy who's big enough uh, to get some rebounds, who can maybe do a little bit of shot blocking, but is is switchable enough to guard the the other, you know, the small forwards or, or maybe even some two guards. That's really, I think, the sweet spot, an area the Celtics really don't have. So if you do lose Marcus Morris, you've got some options there. You could throw Shemi. You could throw one of these guys at it. Um, don't know if Grant Williams has that athleticism, but I think both of those guys, and, and for those who haven't read, Sam Vecini got a great um, write-up on Grant Williams and uh, and uh, Coles Wicker, another great one, again, on Friday on, uh, on Brandon Clark. Really check those out because they'll make you fall in love uh, if you haven't already. So uh, those are the guys I'm looking at. I think that there's a lot of guys in this draft that could be helpful. The other name I want to throw out there is Nikhil Alexander-Walker, uh, who is a combo guard. I think he has a little bit of that Malcolm Brogdon type thing. He's 6'5". Yep. 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 I, I mean, remember. he's yep. – can kind of do a little of this, a little of that. I think that's something that would be very helpful in this team playing next to Marcus Smart and kind of trade off. Um, you know, I, I, and then the other guy is Goga, Goga Bidadze, who has crazy numbers in Europe. Um, probably is as set, as, as set, as well set up as any of the big men in this roster on this, um, draft from a, a foreign the foreign side of things if he's there at 14 i because i think what's gonna happen is clark's gonna go in the top 10 
I think that he's somehow going to fall into the Atlanta, Washington, uh, Minnesota area, 8 to 11. Now, Boston could trade up into that spot, but I think he's going to go in that area. If if he goes, the Celtics don't get up in that spot, I think Goga is a guy to look at. They tried, they worked him out late last week. He's, he's got more athleticism than some of these athletes, these, these guys coming over have had. I'm not saying he's poor Zingas, but I think that he would fit pretty well. He's a passer. He's a big, um, he's not crazy, crazy switchable, but I think he's good, has a good enough athleticism to him to fit in the NBA game. And then he also has those additional skills, some shooting, a lot of passing. I think he'd be a good fit, uh, as that kind of next big behind Robert Williams. But how many centers do you want to have on your roster? So that's, you know, going forward. That's it. That's the question to me. Need dictates Williams, Clark. And then, you know, I think Kevin Porter is a guy that you liked. You mentioned, I, I like him too. I think I would take a look at him if they have, again, if they have all three picks, he's someone I'd look at at 22. I just feel like they have enough to gamble that they ought to gamble on a couple of, on a couple of these and mm-hmm. they probably aren't going to stash them. Um, and I don't think they're going to trade up, uh, because of what you just said, like, or not because of what you just said, but you had mentioned maybe they would trade up. Mm-hmm. I just have a hard time seeing them trade up just because this is such a flat draft and everybody's noted it's such a flat draft. So why not take two swings of the bat? You know, uh, or three, I guess they have three picks, but why, why package two picks to move up for a swing of the bat that really you could just take two swings of the bat and have probably the same mods, if not better, just by having two at bats. So anyway, I, I, I have a hard time seeing them. I, I think could move around a little bit, you know, for future value, but I don't see them moving around because they covet a certain player in this draft. I, I think they're, if, if they don't move out of the draft, they're definitely probably going to just sit tight um, instead of packaging them. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you never know. Um, I, the one thing I'd say is I don't think the cost is going to be that much to move up because if, if people so you, say – you think if they move up, they're throwing in a second-round pick and still keeping maybe. all the first – no, no, no. I'm saying you could use, you could use 22 to get from 18, 14 and 22 to get up to 11 or 10 or something. You know, to me, this is the draft you I do mean, I get it because, but why? because you want a guy because there's a guy that you want to get that isn't going to be available at 14. Do you I mean, really think there's and the like cost a is guy that's, that's convincing like that though? I mean, that's what I'm getting at. The draft's so flat. Is there really a guy that makes you bother doing that? Well, well, that's that's the difference between us doing this here and and Danny doing what he does because for what we read, who knows? But they're talking to them, they're working them out, they see what they actually can do out there. Um, and if if I'm Danny and I say, look, I think Clark's the guy, and I think Clark could be the guy, I would move up from 14 because the losing him means I'm going to get Nasir Little or PJ Washington or Rui Hachimura or Tyler Harrow. None of those guys really get me as excited. So yeah, you definitely would move up in that case. I wouldn't, I wouldn't not do it just because everyone else thinks it's a flat draft. You know, I would, I, I hear what you're saying. There's more swings at the bat, right? If you have three swings rather than two. Uh, but if you're that convinced that 
the guy you see is better. No, that makes sense. I just think the odds of that are low. If the draft really is that flat, you know, I, I think they see guys. I don't think they have their hearts set. But we'll we'll see. They also don't necessarily need to have three rookies on the right. on the roster. So they they may say, you know what, if we can't package out of the draft, we might as well move up in the draft and consolidate some of that salary and, you know, increase our odds with a guy that we think we like better than the rest of them. So that's mm-hmm. certainly possible. The last thing I'll say before we close, Wick kind of said that you know, there's a lot of interesting things that are being discussed. So it doesn't sound like they're 100% done. And the NBA is going through a very interesting shift across the board. Do you think there's any big surprises this offseason at all? Or do you think it's it's kind of, you know, because, because Anthony Davis moved on, that everything kind of quiets down, the picks get made, and, and we're you know, outside of what are we going to do with Horford and Morris and Rozier, you know, Aaron Baines is already coming back. Um, outside of that, that you think things are going to be kind of what you see? I think that there's a chance. I think there's a, ch- I, I think a lot of people have been talking about, well, Boston won't be in it because, and we seem to find out that Boston really wasn't in it in terms of the Anthony Davis deals. So what have they been spending their time on? And it seems that we've heard a little bit of the Houston deal. Uh, I think there's been some talk about, well, we'll still have some interest in D'Angelo Russell, you know, assuming that Kyrie goes there. There's really not a role that you really can't play both of those guys. So effectively you got to, the Nets have got to be saying bye bye. I'm not a big D'Angelo Russell fan. I think he's a complete head case. Uh, and I don't really like the idea of paying him $25 million for four years. It just. I'm, I'm me neither. I'm a pass. Dodgy I'm a pass. on that. It, you know, like well, I see talent. people talk about Kemba Walker. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, we need to get Kemba, but that, but he does have fire in his veins. So that, you know, that's a player that even though I think he's, he's a little undersized, he's a gamer. You know what I mean? So if they did something, you know, like that direction at any point or a player like that, I'd have an easier time getting on board with it, but I think you're right about dealing. D'Angelo Russell, I'm a pass. Yeah. Due to money and head case, just like you said. The only other name that that is already out there that people are talking about, but not, but they don't even have somebody to make the deal happen, is the Wizards and and Bradley Beal. But I don't think they're going to do anything with Beal until they figure out who's going to run their basketball operation. So if that's the case, then he's out. I don't really see anybody else out there that you know. But that's why Danny's good at this, and we're doing a podcast, right? Uh, so I, I don't know who you really, the only other name I that I can let me out there. sleep at night. I want you to let right. me sleep at night because this is how I want it to look. The one, well, the one name I would mention, and I threw this out there and who the hell knows, but, uh, one name that I might think about is Sabonis. Um, you know, Indiana is going to, he's extension eligible. He was in the same draft class as Jalen Brown. So Jalen's extension eligible at the end of this year. So too is Sabonis. Um, is there a fit there? I don't know. Um, you can play Horford with Sabonis. I'm not sure Horford, if he stays for like a three-year deal, does it make a lot of sense? Cause then you're kind of back in the same world with, um, you know, when you, it, it, as Indiana does, where they have, um, their two bigs and Turner and Sabonis. Do you really, you know, you want Horford playing power forward minutes? I, I'm not sure that that's, that's necessarily the right fit either, but 
Sabonis is a guy that is going to be making some money or Turner, or they get rid of Turner and they give Sabonis the money. Uh, but I, I think Indiana is going to be more likely there. to keep, they're more likely to keep Turner. I, I mean, I think that's, then they, then they trade them. Sabonis. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah. And I like, I do like Sabonis. You know, I like both of those players, obviously. Yeah. But you and I had a sweet spot for Sabonis in, the, in that did. draft. We did. That was a guy you and I both wanted to to see him go after. We were kind of in that same spot, right? Like it was like, well, geez, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna take the the take him that early as the as the Jalen Brown pick, but you know, if you got that second first rounder, you know, maybe you could get him, <laughs> you know, get him with that Yabaselli spot. And unfortunately, didn't last know, that long, yeah. right? But that was – it's kind of the same deal, though, right? That's why – They had three picks that year. It was too bad they didn't – imagine if, if they had, had packaged the Zizic right. and the Yabaselli picks and moved up and got Sabonis. That would have exactly. been – That would have been great. That's the – you know, that's the thing. You get – if you can find that late first round, that late lottery guy that's going to, you know, do something, it always – there's always one or two of those guys that slide that late lottery and, and something happens with them. So – if maybe that's the guy, maybe it's Clark this year and, and it's, you know, it was Sabonis in that season. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on. I don't think I would do Jalen Brown for Sabonis personally. Uh, I think that's, that's too rich, but there may be a deal there. Uh, if, you know, Indiana's trying to figure out their next step, they have plenty of cap space. So, um, there's some, some just choices that they're going to have to make, but that's just, Turner but I can't cool. think of anybody else that you yeah. trade for. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You? No. Nope. Yeah. I no, know you want to keep I, it as is, but there's plenty of assets around with this Memphis pick or, you know, the three picks in, in this draft. I mean, there are Terry. I mean, there's, there are assets to move. I want to but. keep drafting. I want to keep drafting and I want them to figure out, you know, who, the, who they really are going to bet on. You know what I mean? That's what I, that's what I want them to do. I want them to use the draft. But anyway, that's going to do it for this week's show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer, Simmy. Executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, for my co-host John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live. All right, I'm going to read the other, the third one. All right. Because I just can't beat this season to death for another minute. I just can't. It's just got to move on. No, I can't. I'm, I'm with you. I'm so ready here, to move on. So here's this one. Um, the title of the email was more things that bother me. All right. Oh so <laughs> it's great though. It's great. I mean, I, I, well, I'm on the same page with Bill here on, on number two and three, but I think all three of us will be on the same page with this other one. Um, and this is actually the first bullet in his in his email. He says, people ripping on Jeff Green. For heaven's sake, has anyone seen the scar on his chest? He could have died at any minute from an aortic aneurysm. I've known one person who had open heart surgery like that, and 10 years later, he said his breastbone was still sore. So mentally and physically, it's a wonder he came back and was able to play at all. We talk about Hayward being tentative regarding his injury. How about Jeff Green having to worry about dying when he played? Google Jeff Green's scar. And 
Yeah, it's a big one. And I remember that. But it's a good point. He gets hammered a lot. And the fact that he's still contributing some decent minutes in the league and whatnot, I mean, I don't, it's not, I don't really see a fit for him on this roster, but I agree. Like, how can you hammer on that guy? I mean, and the issues that you had with Jeff Green before the injury, you know, or before, you know, the aneurysm and after were the same. He was a little bit more Kevin Garnetti, a little more Al Horfordy. You know, he was not an aggressor. Uh, he was not a Paul Pierce. He was never going to shoot those shots, but he had some really valuable contributing minutes this season. And, and I agree. You got to give the guy a break. It's amazing. He's still playing ball. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I, I, he, he's, uh, he got a lot of crap because people love Perk. And I think that's, it all starts there. <laughs> people were mad Perk went away, you know, and that kind of emotional nonsense is really what drove, I think, a lot of people to hate, uh, Jeff Green and needlessly so. It wasn't his fault. It had nothing to do with him. Uh, you know, in terms of the, the aspects of the trade. And he was really always what he always was, which is inconsistent. And, you know, it's unfortunate because he does have great gifts and he does have the ability to, to have done more, but he also nearly died. Oh, by the way. So, uh, no, I agree with you. It's, and I agree with Bill. You know, it's, I do think there's a, there's a spot for him on the team, actually. I think that he's somebody who, could actually play a role here if they if they need a veteran to fill that instead spot, of the Mook Morris. That's the actually, re, that's where you know, it. If you go that's my point about there being more players to fill that role than sure. being really thin at the guard position, as we talked about earlier. So you would you would like to see Green come back? I well I I would, but I think that in terms of having the best team possible and the most trade assets possible, it's better to have Mook Morris here than to have, you know, Jeff Green on veterans minimum and use the MLE for, um, the non-taxpayer MLE to go out and sign, um, you know, somebody like, uh, Patrick Beverly, you know, like that, that doesn't, that doesn't curl anybody's toes. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> I do know what you're saying. It's rather it's, inappropriate. No, <laughs> uh, you know, but it's, it's just, okay. Well, less so. There aren't a lot of options out there to add that would really make any difference. You know, you, if it's not D'Angelo Russell and some sort of big swing move for a point guard, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do anything other than Terry Rozier and Mook Morris. Because that, those are the best pieces that you can And there's continuity and there. And there's continuity yeah. there. They understand the system, et cetera. Yep. I'm down. And you with can that. find you can find you know, Shane Larkins out there. You can find I think we Wanamaker had more to offer than we gave him. You know, that he gave, he was able to show. Uh there are guys who can play that third guard role uh, behind or with uh Smart and Rozier that you know, are, are certainly adequate and can play. I mean, it, to me, point guard is one of the deepest positions in the whole league. So I don't think you have to spend a lot in that area. I don't like spending a lot on Mook Morris and the fact he's going to get in the way of some other pieces. To me, I'd almost sign him to trade him. So you can't sign him for anything. And same with Rozier that you could then move him for six months later. That's pretty much the mindset I have in terms of how much. You're like, bring him back. Just don't overpay him. 
bring yeah, him back basically. if we didn't get him at a reasonable deal that another right. team would be interested in. If someone's looking to overpay, you know, Mook or overpay Rozier, then tip your cap. See you later, and and go in a different direction. But I, I don't. I, both guys had some some spotty um, performances in the season. Certainly, Rozier was horrendous. But you know, from January first to what was it, March first or, or April first, uh, that Morris was the worst player for, by via net rating on the team. Now maybe he was hurt, maybe something else was going on, but he was bad. And you don't give big money contracts, big big money contracts to guys like that. As long as you can fit in Jalen, Jason, and Hayward, those are your three best players with Horford. As long as you can fit those three on the floor or find a way to do it, that's one thing. That's the other piece of this too, is that as much as we want them to grow and all this, there is a bit of a problem. We have a little bit of log jam there. And forget Morris. The, we're going to spend some time on this this summer, I'm sure, you and I. How do you make it work with Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown? Because those three guys, someone's got a rebound of that group or someone's got to play point guard. You know, there's just no other way around it. <laughs> and that's not great because neither of the, none of them really are, have shown that they're able to play that way. And had they done that in 2019, this whole thing would have been different. But we'll see. Well, Well, that that's uh, food for the summer. Food for the summer. And uh, as we like to end our outtake section, if you're still listening, you're welcome.